Last week, we completed our three-part mini-series, if I may call it that, on the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. In the first part, we looked at the Law of Moses as a whole. In the second part, we looked at the first four commandments, which we called the Vertical Commandments, because they touch on man's responsibilities and duties toward God. In the third part, last week, we looked at the final six commandments, which we called the horizontal commandments, because they touch on man's responsibilities and duties to his fellow man. The horizontal commandments are so interrelated that it may well be almost impossible to fully comprehend any one of them without also understanding the others. We are to honor our fathers and our mothers, whether we are young or old. We must not murder, because God alone is the author of life. Only he can give life, only he can take life. We must not steal, because God has given the right of ownership of private property to the one who has worked to earn it. We must not commit adultery. Marriage between one man and one woman is the fundamental building block of families, and families are the fundamental building blocks of society. Any act of sexual intimacy outside of the marriage bond as defined by God is a great evil. We must not lie. The life of the believer should be a life of truth. Lies are the sins we commit when we are trying to hide all the other sins we have committed. At the heart of the matter, literally, we must not covet. Nothing which God has blessed somebody else with, whether his house or his wife or anything else, should be looked at with envious longing. For that is the birthplace of sin, according to James, and death, according to Scripture. So today we are going to complete uh, the next part of Exodus 20, which will include verses 18 through 21. I'll be honest with you, I had originally intended... <clears throat> to do the rest of Exodus chapter 20 all the way through uh, verse, what is it? That's the end, uh, verse 26. But I, so I laid my outline out, and by the time I got to the end of verse 21, I had probably uh, half an hour's worth of material, and I thought, I can't, I can't just not talk about uh, those last few verses uh, or just skim them. I just didn't think that would do them justice. And so today's message will be a little short, um, but it, we are only going to be covering those first uh, few verses um, of, of uh, our passage, uh, 18 through 21. Anyway, it's only a few verses. Let's read then Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 18 through verse 21. This is the word of God. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, 
But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this passage of scripture uh, that we have the immense privilege of looking into today. We pray that by your spirit, you would touch our hearts by the truth of your word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the beginning part, uh, you'll notice in the outline today that it's only half of an outline. It's, it's not well done. It's, uh, but I, eventually at the, at the end of Friday, I just, I just cut off the last half of the message and pushed it into next week. But anyway, so uh, half of an outline we'll look at today. The people respond in our passage today to hearing the Ten Commandments. I think it might be helpful if we read another description of what is happening here at Mount Sinai from over in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The book of Deuteronomy is really a record of a series of speeches given by Moses toward the end of his life to the people of Israel, reminding them of what God had done for them in redeeming them and giving them the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is recounting what happened at the foot of Mount Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments. So verses 1 through 21 of Deuteronomy 5 repeats the Ten Commandments. And so we won't read that today, but we'll pick up the reading at verse 22 and read through verse 31, which covers the same time frame as our passage in Exodus 20 today. And we'll get a little bit more detail on what's happening in the people's reaction. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, this is the word of God. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. This is Moses speaking. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you they are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. <clears throat> so with that, let's look at our text in Exodus 20. The first thing that comes out is that the people are afraid. 
Verse 18 of our passage says that the people trembled and stood afar off. This is probably the natural response for the person confronted with the holy nature of God as portrayed by the moral demands made by the Ten Commandments. The people say that they fear being consumed by the great purifying fire burning on the mountain due to the presence of the Lord. We mentioned in an earlier sermon that everything about Sinai said, stay away. The Lord, the God of Israel, is unapproachable in his holiness. Boundaries were built around Sinai. Warnings were given, and God's power was revealed. The question naturally arises, how could the people possibly approach, much less have a relationship with, the El Shaddai, the Almighty, in his purifying holiness? God is so holy that filth cannot survive his presence. Where did that leave the people? Where does that leave us? The remainder of the writings of Moses, along with the rest of the Old Testament, gives us little glimpses into how this would one day happen. The rest of Scripture develops powerful shadows, at least Old Testament Scripture, of the reality that would finally be realized and manifested in Jesus Christ. The people go on to say, let not God speak with us. On first glance, we might be critical of the people of Israel for saying that they did not want God to speak with them any further. Is this because of their rebellious hearts, we might ask? When we look at Moses' commentary on this event in Deuteronomy 5.28, that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Moses, speaking to the people, uh, says to them, Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. He goes on to say, They are right in all that they have spoken. A person might think that Israel would have loved the dramatic experience at Mount Sinai and especially the honor of hearing God's voice audibly. That is the impression we get from people that claim to hear God speaking to them even today. Instead, because of the great awe and dread the Israelites felt, they wanted God to stop speaking to them directly. And it seemed that God was not displeased with this reaction. We read uh, verse, uh, we read verse 28 just a moment ago of Deuteronomy 5. Let's read verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. The people of Israel had already delighted in God's mercy. They had come through the Red Sea and celebrated with singing. They had been blessed with manna from heaven, water from the rock, and victory in battle. And all this time they followed the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. But now they faced God himself in a display of his great glory. With the giving of the Ten Commandments, 
they became uncomfortably aware of their own sinfulness in the presence of the holy, sinless perfection of the Lord. And their primary reaction was to shy away from God, to create some distance between themselves and the Almighty. Folks, human nature hasn't changed. When people are confronted with the truth of their own sinfulness, the natural, immediate reaction is to shy away, to remove themselves from the uncomfortable position of being aware of God's holy presence. That is the natural response. That is why we need the supernatural response of God so that we can face our sinfulness head on and deal with it at the cross of Christ. The people then ask Moses to be their mediator. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 describes Moses as the mediator of the law to the people of Israel. The people of Israel say to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. The idea in this statement is that they would listen and obey to the instruction God gave them by the word of Moses. <clears throat> now, I don't want to give away the rest of the story of Exodus, but how well did that turn out? You speak to us, Moses, and we'll listen, and we'll obey. Yeah, you go ahead and keep reading in Exodus. Once again, we can see in this passage that human nature has not changed between then and now. In drawing back from direct dealing with God, Israel wanted a mediator, fearing death if they did not have Moses between them and God. Men today, even if they are consciously unaware of it, continue to seek a mediator between themselves and God. In order to avoid dealing with God directly, men want some priest to be their mediator, or the Virgin Mary, perhaps, or some long-dead saint or martyr, maybe, or an ancient ancestor or a religious guru. Some seek mediation through a hand-carved idol, or a celebrity, or even a state representative. Some people think that the pastor is their mediator. We'll let the pastor do his work this week and then see what he has to say to us, they might say. No, no, no. A pastor is not a mediator. A pastor, or any other Christian for that matter, can be an intercessor bringing requests to God through prayer. But mediation is Christ's office and his alone. You need to spend time with God through Christ. Christ is not merely bringing your requests to God as a fellow Christian might do in prayer. He is representing man to God and God to men. Jesus is uniquely equipped for this office because he is the only person who is truly God and truly man. No one else qualifies. Not a priest or a pastor 
or a guru or Joseph Smith or Buddha or Muhammad or anyone. Salvation is found in the name of Jesus Christ alone. God knew that it was in the nature of man to long for a mediator. In fact, he designed us and created us this way. By God's grace, we recognize that the gulf between God and man is so vast that someone must stand in the gap. In fact, the gulf is infinite. So the person who stands in the gap must also be infinite. So God gave us his own mediator, the only legitimate mediator between God and man. Three times the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus as the mediator of the new and better covenant, just like Pastor Steve read. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, his first letter, 1 Timothy 2.5 writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Brings us, I think, to about verse 20. And I've titled this part of the outline, To Fear or Not to Fear. That is the question. Verse 20 says something quite interesting. I don't know if you noticed it while we were reading it. Moses tells the people, do not fear. And then he goes on to say that God is testing them so that his fear may be before them. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but this seems somewhat contradictory to me until a person digs a little deeper. The fear the people of Israel had was the fear of death. Above all else, they did not want to die. And the experience of God speaking the Ten Commandments to them was so powerful and so terrifying that they thought they might not survive a further word from the Lord. Moses tells them, this is not what you should fear. What they should fear is sin. What they should fear is God. God had manifested his presence to them on Mount Sinai to test them so that they would not sin. John Bunyan. Many of you have heard of John Bunyan. He lived in the 1600s, was thrown in prison for failing to conduct worship in a government-approved manner. He was asked at one point in his imprisonment to sign a document saying he would be obedient to the government. And if he signed the document, he would be set free to go have church again. Other pastors, Anglicans and Catholics and Christians, wrote letters to Bunyan during his imprisonment. It's one of the nice things about the 16th, 17th, 18th century so many letters that we have access to. Anyway, they wrote letters to him telling him, Mr. Bunyan, just be obedient to Romans 13. Mr. Bunyan, just be obedient to Titus 3. They told him that it wasn't as if he was being prohibited from preaching the gospel or that his life was in danger. He just had to preach the gospel when, where, and how the government had approved. That's all he had to do. 
But Bunyan was not swayed by these shallow misrepresentations of scripture. He had a deep commitment to the truth of the word of God from cover to cover. So he responded to those letters with these words. I will stay in prison till the moss grows on my eyelids rather than disobey God. I have given him my faith and sworn my allegiance to him. How then can I go back from this and not be hanged as a traitor? Bunyan feared God. Bunyan feared sinning against God more than he feared imprisonment or even death. By the way, it was John Bunyan, while he was in prison, uh, wrote much of the timeless classic Pilgrim's Progress, which all of you should read. Part of the test God gave Israel was to see how they would like dealing with him immediately without a mediator. This would serve to convince them how well God had chosen for them in putting Moses into that office. Not since the Garden of Eden, when the Lord God walked with man in the cool of the evening, had man communed directly with God. When Adam and Eve sinned and fled from the presence of God upon hearing his voice in the garden, ever since that moment, sinful man has not been able to bear the awesome purifying, holy presence. Adam and Eve made their own coverings, you'll remember, to try and hide their shame from God, but it would never do. God himself had to cover their shame with animal skins, the death of the innocent to cover the shame of the wicked. It is in Jesus Christ, finally, that the death of the innocent can truly and completely cover the shame of the wicked. Because of his covering, we can enter the presence and service of God without terror and without fear of death. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So Moses draws near. If you will recall, when the people first arrived at Mount Sinai, God gave instructions to build a barrier around the mountain so that the people would not break through and approach the presence of the Lord on the mountain. But now, after hearing the voice of God speak to them, the law, that was no longer an issue. The people weren't trying to break through anymore. The scripture tells us that the people just turned and went the other way. They stood afar off. Today's passage tells us that Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. There's a principle in this statement that is so universally true that nearly every great history or story that has ever been told contains this idea. The principle is this. That which we most long for 
and even need is found in the place where we are most reluctant to go. So I'm going to speak very briefly, particularly to the young people, maybe if you're under the age of 30. That which you most long for is found in that place where you are most reluctant to go. We regret the things we don't do far more than we regret the things we try and fail. God is asking you to move forward with him. And sometimes that means heading toward the dark cloud. And that's where he's going to be found, taking those risks, trying those things, moving forward with courage. Let me give you a quick example and then suggest to you what God might be trying to teach us through this principle. One of the greatest, most enduring set of stories ever written involved the legendary King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. In one of these legends, one of King Arthur's knights, Sir Percival or Sir Galahad, the accounts differ, has been tasked with finding and retrieving the Holy Grail, the cup from which Christ drank at the Last Supper. And so the knight goes out and he searches the entire kingdom and finally comes to a dark, foreboding forest. And he knows he must enter there to finally be victorious in his quest. I'm sure we could come up with a hundred similar challenges in different stories and histories that we have heard and read because the principle is an eternal one. That which we long for or even need the most is to be found where we are most reluctant to go. We see it in our passage today with Moses, who, trembling and afraid, must enter the dark cloud to meet with God. But ultimately, it all points to the cross of Christ. In order to secure the salvation of the whole world, Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. In agony before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed to the Father, If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Christ taught us by the highest example that man's natural tendency is to take the easier way, the well-worn path, that route with which we are most comfortable. But those who are to receive the greatest blessings of heaven take on the hardest things. They take the road less traveled. They are willing to endure the greatest discomfort if it will bring glory to the name of God. That is what it means to trust God. We don't see into the dark forest. Moses didn't see into the dark cloud, but we know the one who does. And his comforting presence is abiding there, waiting for the one who trusts him. Is this not also a principle of salvation? The hardest thing we may ever do 
is to acknowledge our sin before a holy God. But there are no easy roads to the cross of Christ. We face the darkness within our own hearts and confess who and what we are before God. We are a sinner in need of a savior. It is a dark forest, but we know we must enter there if we are to receive the greatest blessings of heaven. And when by faith we take those first tentative steps toward that place of great discomfort and enter the dark cloud of acknowledging our sin and desperate need, we encounter the glory of God as revealed in the cross of Calvary. Many will stand afar off for fear, but the one whose fear is overcome by the love of Christ comes to the cross with all their sin and is washed by the blood of Christ and receives eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the eternal principles of your word, every one of which is inspired. And you have preserved this for so many centuries so that even this morning your people can gather here in your presence and partake of the pure bread of the word of God. We pray that as we go forward from this place into the week that we are facing, that we would do so in faith, trusting you. You see the beginning of this week from the end of it. You know what is facing it. Give us the courage to give us the courage to move forward with you, recognizing that you are ever with us. Help us to be faithfully in your word, seeking the light of your word as we move forward day by day. Thank you for this group of your people that we can gather here in this place in your presence and enjoy you and enjoy one another because you have ordained it to be so. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love and your forgiveness that are all offered at the cross of Calvary. And if there's anyone in here this morning that, have, that has not yet taken that hard road to acknowledging who they are and who you are, that you would guide them to the cross of Christ, that they might receive forgiveness and eternal life even this morning. We thank you for this and praise you for this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.